Hi everyone, my name is Rob. With Mark spending the next few weeks living it up in the mother country, attending the XL convention with his Doctor Who homies, and lighting 100 pound notes with return 16mm film prints of the Daleks master plan, I'm holding the fort in the colonies, counting down the days, hours and minutes until the anniversary special screens. And, since the special is now less than a week away, and in light of the excitement generated by Paul McGann's return as the 8th Doctor in the Night of the Doctor, I thought it worthwhile to release a podcast. That's right, this podcast is going solo. Surprise and delight of fandom, the BBC last week unveiled The Night of the Doctor, a mini-episode featuring Paul McGann as the 8th Doctor, and, in the best possible way, fandom lost its mind. Since 2005, there have been forlorn calls for McGann to return to the series as the 8th Doctor, but as the years have marched on, as Doctors have come and gone, those calls have diminished. McGann recently said he wouldn't be appearing in the anniversary special itself. But as appears to be the case with the new series production team, what they say is not necessarily what they mean. So, The Night of the Doctor. Even though we're not a review podcast, I'll relent a little and say I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Despite the short running time, McGann deftly portrayed the transition required of him, from a Time Lord refusing to engage with the Time War, to someone willing to make the sacrifice required to end it. It was a charming, engaging performance that has left elements of fandom calling for more. And rightly, dare I say it. Of course, the main aim of the episode wasn't only to scratch a decade-long fan itch, though to a very large extent it did just that but instead introduced the idea of the War Doctor. Always fractious, fandom has long quibbled over whether the Doctor is a pacifist or not. Really though, when you get down to it, the Doctor is neither. What he really is, is a pragmatist. He's happy enough to use whatever methods to hand to help achieve his goals. Whether it's directing the Ice Warrior fleet into the sun, or talking down a sniper on a rooftop in the Happiness Patrol, or standing by while two guards dissolve in an acid bath, or cracking open a caveman's skull, or simply sacrificing himself to save a friend. If it gets the job done, it gets the job done. And here, in the Night of the Doctor, the Doctor, stung by Cass's denunciation, decides to stop standing on the sidelines of the Time War. Someone, but not him, must step in and end it once and for all. So he drinks the Sisterhood's potion, and the War Doctor is created. As I mentioned earlier, one of the striking aspects of the episode has been the response to it. Over the last few months, we've seen how fandom, ever dissatisfied with its lot, has come together to celebrate the announcement of Peter Capaldi as the 12th Doctor and rejoice at the return of the two Troughton serials. And so it was again when news of this mini-episode spread across the internet like wildfire. But why? To the wider public, McGann is the forgotten Doctor. Without a large back catalogue of TV episodes to bolster his reputation, fandom has had to make do with books, comics and audio. But given the weird alchemy that only fandom can generate, McGann's return was embraced and celebrated. Which still begs the question, my current theory about the rapturous response is that fandom is essentially a conservative beast. Conservatives love and appreciate the past, which often expresses itself as nostalgia. At its heart, fandom doesn't like change, even though change runs through the show's DNA like a shining thread. The actor playing the lead changes, but listen to the uproar if the new actor is an actress. 
and the exterior of the TARDIS today makes absolutely no sense, but change even the dimensions of the windows and fandom freaks out. In essence, fandom loves nostalgia, and with a show that is celebrating 50 years of existence, it is nostalgia in spades. So even though McGann and the TV movie came and went in the blink of an eye, and even though the larger viewing public have forgotten both, those few weeks in 1996 when fandom celebrated the return of the show is woven into the show's history. The Ath Doctor counts as much as any of those who came before and since. All the other actors playing the Doctor got a shot of at least a few years in the role, unlike McGann. So the calls for him to return as the Ath Doctor since 2005 represent not only a shot at redemption for McGann, but a shot at redemption for fandom's embrace of the TV movie. And apart from that, like it or not, the new series' depiction of the romantic, and of romance itself, finds its beginning in the TV movie. What caused outrage in 1996 is today regarded as the norm. Nostalgia. There's nothing like it. In this year of the 50th anniversary, there's plenty of that going around. As I've mentioned previously, my interest in the show dates back to 1975. Let's stop and think about that for a moment. 1975. For someone who recently celebrated a birthday with a 4 as the first number, that's a frighteningly long time ago. I wonder what the 4 year old me would make of his older self now. At the other end of that, in 2013, I'm still interested in the show. Interested enough to be pleased as punch to see him again again. Interested enough to be taking my family to see the anniversary special screened in the cinema here in Melbourne. I wonder what my two daughters, only a little older now than I was way back then, will make of their memories of this Sunday's outing. Will their memories have the same fondness I retain from that long ago overcast day when the sight of Lynx's face sent me fleeing outside and into the arms of my father? So nostalgia is what I think fueled the reception to McGann's return in The Night of the Doctor. Even if it was an ending for the Eighth Doctor, it was almost seven minutes of sheer celebration at seeing him again on the screen. With so much history behind it, the mini-episode allowed fans to wallow in that wonderful thing that accompanies 50 years of history, nostalgia. Alright then, enough cod philosophising. I put a call out on Twitter to our followers to ask me, in Mark's absence, any Doctor Who related questions they might want to throw at me. And frankly, you've all failed. However, my group of Doctor Who mates have stepped into the breach, so I'm going to read out, and answer as best I can, a few of the questions they threw at me. So, questions. Unlike the rest of this podcast, which I've carefully scripted, can't you tell the difference, um, this will be uh, a bit more rambling than, uh, than what you've experienced before and what you'll experience after the uh, question and answer session. Uh, so some of the questions I've got here, well, the first one, uh, cab off the rank, is um, talk about your experiences with cons since Mark's off to the XL convention in the UK. The good, the bad, are they embarrassing nerd fests? Um, well, I've actually only been ever been to one uh, convention. Uh, that was the uh, a convention held in, uh, in Sydney in, I think, 2001. And uh, as with all good conventions, I flew up with my mates. Um, nice one-hour flight to Sydney from Melbourne. And that was a convention that was attended by uh, Colin Baker, and uh, and Katie Manning and um, I mean you know it was entertaining enough but I think I found more t- more, more enjoyment out of uh, spending time with my friends uh, away from home um, you know when you're uh, there were the usual Friday night celebratory drinks because you know that's what you do on a Friday night in Sydney and then there were the celebratory drinks on a Saturday night because that's what you do on a Saturday night in Sydney uh, of course what happens in Sydney stays in Sydney but it was just good to be with uh, like-minded friends um, in, in enjoying ourselves in a, in a, in a, in a different city. Uh, as for the convention itself, um, from what I can remember, it was a reasonably well-run one. Uh, the, Gary Russell came along and auctioned off um, some unedited versions of... Uh, an unedited version of uh, The Stones of Venice, one of the early Paul McGann um, audio plays, which uh, sold very well, I think. 
and uh, there was a I think there was a quiz night on the Friday night, so that was a bit of fun with the boys. Uh, and then uh, Sunday afternoon um, was marked with a very entertaining Q and A with Colin Baker. I can see why he's uh, he, he's uh, he's found to be he's well loved amongst fandom because he always gives his all, and he was very forthcoming with. Uh, the Q&A that, uh, that started until Katie Manning leapt on stage and spoiled everything for me. Um, I'm sure there are people out there who love Katie Manning, but her uh, exuberance is too exuberant for me. So that, that put me right off. And then I got into a slight altercation with a uh, female fan about her opinions on uh, a, a local Australian politician and her extreme right-wing views. So that ended Sunday rather well. But um, no, I mean, I can see the value of conventions. They're, you know, obviously a lot of fun. You get fans together and, and like-minded fans uh, come together and talk about the show and about, you know, they share experiences. I had a lot of fun in the dealer's room. Um, I, I spent, I think, way too much money on big Finnish audios back then. Um, but it was just great to be with my mates and and have a lot of fun. Uh, and as for embarrassing nerd fests, well, I suppose if you're in the eye of the storm, everything seems normal. Um, if you're... <laughs> If you were the poor uh, people at the hotel who were running, who were sort of in the background keeping things afloat um, and looking in uh, from the outside, it would have been uh, quite an experience. But uh, no, I mean, everyone, everyone, it was a convivial atmosphere and everyone had a great deal of fun. So um, I actually even managed to line up and get Colin Baker to sign a photo for me, which I don't usually do that sort of thing. I remember when I worked at a bookstore and uh, famed and now deceased author David Gemmell came in and I've been a longtime fan of David Gemmell um, and I had a first edition of one of his first books and I refused to uh, stand in line and uh, and ask the great man to sign it for me because I thought that was a bit you know demeaning to him so I got a friend to do it for me so I'm not a big merchandise man like that but uh, I got Colin Baker to sign for me and he sort of looked at this unshaven individual standing in front of him saying just market attention to Rob please Colin and uh, yeah so that was pretty interesting um, all right, so there's that question there. But actually, no, I've, I mean, other people who've gone to other conventions speak very highly of them. I've got uh, a couple of my friends here. A number of my friends here helped organise um, the Timestorm convention, which featured Sophie Aldred many, many years ago, which was, I think, one of the more um, very well-run conventions at the time. I never attended, but um, it was uh, a great deal of fun was had by all, very well-organised. Uh, and I think Sophie and her husband had a great deal of fun uh, meeting the local fans in Melbourne and also doing a bit of touring around Victoria at the time, so well done to them. Um, now, the next question is, uh, as we approach the 50th anniversary, uh, what are my thoughts on season one of Doctor Who 50 years ago? Now, just to refresh my memory, because as we all know, I'm a bad fan, I've got in front of me a list of uh, what is considered season one of Doctor Who uh, from the from 1963-64, which begins obviously with an unearthly child and ends with uh, the reign of terror and the thing that immediately springs to mind just looking at the titles is the sheer variety of what the production team put in front uh, of the viewing public i mean obviously there's uh, there's an unearthly child which is i mean i suppose if you tried to do something like that today by sticking you know two unknowable characters as the leads or one of them obviously is the lead and then thrust them in immediately into a 60-minute excursion into the Neanderthalic past of humanity, that TV series would A, never get greenlit, and B, if somehow, by some miracle it did, it would immediately be shot down in flames and never make it to episode or story two. But uh, they were a bit more forgiving back in the, in the early 60s. So, I mean, you have things, pulp adventures like the Daleks and uh, and the Keys of Marinus. So then you have, obviously, uh, you know, the... the, the 
the first, I suppose, proper historical Marco Polo and sideways adventures like the Edge of Destruction. And I mean, and then there's another historical, probably one of the best, uh, the Aztecs. And then you have um, something like the Censorites, which is, you know, I've actually never watched the Censorites, but apparently it's a dull fest. But, you know, that's just me. But I mean, the, 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 the striking variety uh, is, is, is evident to see for, for, for season one. And it just, um, I mean, that was what the production team clearly were trying to achieve. I mean, it couldn't all be a science fiction uh, adventure all the way through because the audience, I suppose, would quickly bore themselves with it. And that really wasn't the remit of the show at that time. Um, you know, later in the 60s, it sort of changed and became the sort of action-adventure uh, sort of science fiction show, which is, I, th- I suppose, what audiences were beginning to expect at that stage of the 60s. But early on, um, you, you have to applaud the vision of the production team um, who uh, who took up the challenge and really did mix it up a lot. Because, I mean, I mean as I said there, I mean, Keys of Marinus, which I don't find particularly entertaining, but, I mean, you know, every week you've got a different location. Every week you've got a different sort of challenge uh, for, the, for the TARDIS crew to, to overcome. Um, and in spite of its many shortcomings, it does, you know, it, it's, 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 it's almost like a whole season in and of itself, given the variety of the episodes. So, um, and of course, you know, once the template has been laid, that, that's essentially Doctor Who, uh, isn't it? All right, so the next question, um, which actor who's played the Doctor do you most like watching in other shows? Well, I had a bit of a think about this, and to be honest, I mean, I haven't ever seen... I've seen uh, Davison in The Last Detective, and he was quite entertaining in that. Um, I've not seen Tom Baker in anything. I may Well, I may have seen him in half an episode of Sherlock Holmes, or the, 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 the Hand of the Baskervilles, that he did after leaving the series. I think that the actor who I've, I've most seen is David Tennant uh, in the last couple of years. I mean, there's obviously uh, Broadchurch, uh, there's The Politician's Husband... Uh, and latterly, there's uh, there's the fall, which I think is no, not the fall. That's another series. There's the ah um, oh, yes, the the escape artist, where he plays the lawyer. And um, I, I mean, he plays each role really differently. I think he's a bit of a chameleon as an actor. He's um, he, uh, he, um, he 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 changes he changes roles like he changes clothes and uh, you know each each different role brings something out of him differently so i always i, I found him recently to be entertaining uh, i always actually I've, I've liked watching um paul mcgann because the role i mean you know you play the you play the doctor you're a sort of a you're a charismatic hero um you know self-assured and all that sort of thing but um, watching him in in early episodes of luther the series that neil cross uh, created and wrote um he is very much the it's it's a completely different role for him, and he he's not no, well, henpecked is not the right word, but he's um he is a weak man attempting to be or pretending to be strong, uh, and um, is is c- clearly not up to the task of being a replacement for Luther in in the affections of uh, Luther's you know separated wife. But um, no, I, I I mean I've not watched uh, say Sylvester McCoy in anything. I've not gone to see The Hobbit, Colin Baker. I think I've seen him in one episode of a dodgy British UK comedy series from the nineties. Something is it After Hours or Last Orders or something like that, where he played a professor. Embarrassing. Um, and I mean, obviously Christopher. Well, actually, now that, now that I think about it, I mean Christopher Eccleston is the bee's knees. I mean, I loved loved him in uh, in Cracker. He was really good in uh, The Second Coming. Um, he, I mean, he obviously just brings that intensity that he's his trademark intensity that he's well known for. So um, I think of uh, you know. 
obviously because they've had more recent work it's the new series actors uh, who, who immediately spring to mind so you'd probably put them uh, you know one two with Tenet and Eccleston jostling for first place all right so why don't we finish the uh, Q&A with that that hardy perennial that has sustained us these last uh, six to twelve months uh, the question is what's happened to the Omni rumor since the release of Web and Enemy uh, has this given license to fans to jump at every shadow? Uh, yes, very much license. Um, the uh, the Omni rumor chugs along. I think s- since the announcement uh, in early October that uh, Web, uh, most of Web and uh, Enemy of the World were back, um, the 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 the, uh, the 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 marsh has been drained slightly. So the uh, the, uh, the temperatures have have, be- have receded fans have relaxed a great deal uh, i mean the atmosphere at the time was absolutely feverish and every sort of there were spot fires going off everywhere basically on on forums and and twitter and 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 you know youtube commentary and that sort of thing podcasts were discussing it it was just uh, it was just that thing that was um was just bubbling along uh, and occasionally erupting and since the the announcement everything has more or less soothed down uh, soothed and calmed itself down um there is still, you know, uh, eager discussion on a variety of forums. I mean, you got the Gall- Gallifrey Brace, of course, which has got the biggest missing episode thread. Uh, Rhubarbs has reactivated uh, their missing episodes thread. You go to Planet Mondas, um, where there's a hardcore of a hardcore of uh, true believers, and uh, Outpost Scaro, where there's a there's a good mixture. Um, some of the commentary from some of the forums has been, I think, unnecessarily nasty towards certain individuals. Uh, as we said, as Mark and I said in the previous podcast, I mean the restoration team was in in, a, in an imp- almost impossible situation. If they said nothing, then they were basically confirming the rumours. If they said something, which is what they did, they put they opened themselves up to charges of you know sort of lying or dissembling. And um, I mean, I don't envy them the position that they ha- they find themselves. Um, I mean, in the end no one gets hurt by the, the the restoration team not telling the whole truth because they're not you know not in a position to be able to tell the whole truth uh, it's not as if they're lying for or, or lying or gaining any particular profit out of out of having to be sort of guarded in what they say i, I suppose i think the the the, 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 part, the course of least resistance would have been for them to basically withdraw from fandom during during the uh, during that period and just you know, let let fandom sort of consume itself in 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 uh, speculation as to why the RT uh, were, said nothing. Because I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of people since that time, not a lot of people, a number of people who should know better, who are adults and should be able to restrain themselves, have been frankly disgraceful in some of the things they've said uh, about members of the restoration team. Um, it's just not it's just not on really. I mean, we're all fans, and the restoration team over fifteen or so years have done you know. Yeoman service, uh, was it yeoman? Yeoman? I think it's yeoman service uh, for fandom in terms of you know the work that they've done for uh, re- re- you know bringing t- uh, episodes up to scratch for video and, and DVD release. So some people just need to take a pill and relax and have a lie down. But um, there are still speculation going on. People are still a list was recently um, uh, just spread around the internet in the last couple of days um, with uh, sourcing where. You know, a putative ninety episodes uh, have come from places like Ghana, Singapore, uh, Hong Kong, 
all the usual places. Um, it's basically 89 or 90 episodes that people are now talking about or claiming with you know some certainty uh, that have been returned. I did notice that the people who were very fervent um, in their belief uh, because they you know had contacts uh, before the announcement of the two returns uh, sort of have stepped back uh, recently. So whether they were sort of contacted by a certain individual and, and said, just keep your voices down, let, let any negotiations that are going on continue. Uh, but on the flip side, Steve Roberts has been very... Very outspoken, not outspoken, but very uh, open to questions on Gallifrey Base. He's been answering questions over the last week, more or less. And he has said, point blank, that the restoration team are not working on any return missing episodes. Uh, they are The restoration team is not working on many missing episodes. It is his understanding that the BBC is not in receipt in any other missing episodes. Though he did say that it is, he said it was his gut feeling that um, missing episodes were had been well, missing episodes were had been found but not returned, but that was just a gut feeling and not you know him coming out and saying and declaring they have been found. We are working on them because he's basically saying that they're not now. Whether that means, uh, say, Phil Morris, for instance, has, has got them sitting uh, safely tucked away and uh, is working on something with the BBC, that's one thing. But uh, in terms of them actually being returned to the BBC, no, nothing. So the the, the point at the moment is uh, where we find ourselves is that no. No further episodes have been returned to the BBC. I mean, there's speculation that you know the, the something will be announced at the Excel convention on November the 23rd, or after the day the Doctor is out of the way on November 24th, there'll be an announcement, or December 21 when, when there's a missing believed wiped uh, conference. I think in, uh, in in Scotland. So, I mean, you know, as as with anything else, who knows? Who knows? But uh, it's been a fun ride up until this point, and it looks like it's, it's going to be a fun ride. Uh, into the future because there's a lot of belief that you know given the the sheer seeming impossibility of these episodes sitting by themselves in an archive in in Nigeria for 40 years essentially untouched uh, just the miracle that they were found well if they could be found well what about these other rumors I mean it it it, it, uh, it lends credibility to the possibility that there's more stuff out there all right so that's the question and answer portion out of the way Back to the very, very carefully scripted remainder of the podcast. And that's enough of the questions. As I said earlier, the 50th anniversary is almost upon us. For most of this year, I've felt oddly detached from the building excitement. Perhaps I've been too cynical, but in my heart, I've always been a classic series fan. That said, the last couple of weeks have seen my excitement levels rise. Reality can never meet expectations, but if the anniversary special is as entertaining as the Night of the Doctor... My cynicism will be well and truly replaced with happiness that Moffat and Smith and Tennant and Hurt have pulled off the impossible and in doing so helped celebrate 50 years of this mad, baffling, funny, infuriating and ultimately entertaining television series. So wherever you are and however you choose to celebrate the anniversary, Mark and I truly hope you have a blazingly good time with it. Happy 50th to Doctor Who and a happy anniversary to all of you at home.